The Koigig Pod. Emma Bird is in tears. Keeping you up to date with all this summer's football in Australia. I can't believe it. We've finally done it. Subscribe to The Koigig Pod on the Off The Ball app now. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now it is weekend three of the Rugby Championship and it is a rivalry that's being renewed but one that's been incredibly one-sided when it comes to the Bledisloe Cup. So going into the Melbourne Cricket Ground on this Saturday evening Australian time, the morning our time here in Ireland, Australia hoping to win the Bledisloe Cup this season for the first time since their five in a row in 2002. It has been New Zealand dominant since and all indicators in the championship so far will be that the All Blacks are going to win in Melbourne. The first weekend, New Zealand winning against Argentina by four 41 points to 12. Australia shipping a heavy defeat away to South Africa by 43 points to 12. And in the last round, just before the break, we had New Zealand beating South Africa by 35 points to 20. And Argentina winning last gasp against Australia by 34 points to 31. Delighted to say that Gregor Paul from the New Zealand Herald is with us. And Gregor, when you take all that into account, I can understand why Eddie Jones is saying to some of the New Zealand media earlier today that you guys are confident about this weekend. Eddie was in good form. He was back to being his mischievous best. I suppose he's transitioned out of England into Australia. He's loving it. Uh, uh, Look, he's under a wee bit of pressure already, isn't he? Because everyone expected the Eddie factor to kick in immediately once he joined this Wallabies team. Hasn't happened so far. They've been been a wee bit disjointed. They've been a wee bit disappointing. Uh, The All Blacks, on the other hand, have gone in totally the opposite direction to the one everyone was expecting. They've, you know, they've been revelationary this year. They've been outstanding, and of course, Eddie's looking at that and he knows that the pressure's on him. So what does he do? He says, "Look over here, the pressure's back on the All Blacks because we're going to beat them in Melbourne. No one gives us a chance, and that's why we're going to win." So good on you, Eddie. He's made life interesting. Well, I was watching the video of Eddie earlier today as well. My first thought was he used the word All Blacks once and corrected himself. He was even very deliberate in saying New Zealand and being, I think, very, very playful when he said he's going to tank the New Zealand economy come Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he, he did this before. Remember when he was coach of England at the World Cup? He Before they played in the semi-final, he started talking about how pressure was going to be chasing the old backs down the street and how they were being spied on at training. All sorts of nonsense came out of Eddie that day. Um, look, he he is deflecting, but he's got a good point too. His team has underperformed to this stage, but everyone is expecting something from them. They're, they've got a lot of good players in that team. He He's actually made a lot of changes to the team that played uh, the previous week. He's, he's changed his nine, he's changed his ten. He's got a new midfield and he's brought um, Kellaway back at fullback. And if you start to look, and he's also got two thunderously big locks at his disposal now. They've made a huge difference. He's got a lot of good front rowers. There's there's a 23-man squad in there that's good. And maybe, maybe this is the occasion. He talked last week about they just need something. You know, it might be dumb luck that, that, that makes them click. But probably, in all honesty... 80, 85,000 people are expected at the MCG. Biggest crowd for a rugby game in this part of the world for a very long time. Um, that might be the occasion. And the All Blacks, the, the Aussies, no matter where they are in the world or what kind of form they're in, they love playing the All Blacks. The All Blacks are the team that get their hearts pumping and bring something out of them. Um, like I, I think he's, I think watch out. Australia are going to be quite good. 
you've been writing about the context of the New Zealand selection around the World Cup and Ian Foster maybe just kind of tailoring things a little bit as the World Cup comes around. I wonder when I look at that inexperienced Australian team or the blooding of players coming in, I wonder if Eddie Jones has half an eye on the World Cup here where this is the perfect environment if you're going to sink or swim, MCG against the All Blacks in the Rugby Championship. Well, there's probably a wee bit of that. There's probably a wee bit of the of the very right now as well, because the his playmaking unit hasn't really performed. Um, Quade Cooper didn't really do anything for him at ten. Balance of the midfield was wrong. Back three were oh, a bit hit and miss. So look, he's he, he's actually got a wee bit of uh, everything going on here. Yep, he's looking a wee bit to the World Cup. He's probably thinking. The fellow he's playing at number 10 is going to be the one he's going to use at the World Cup. So, you know, playing him against the All Blacks at the MCG is a pretty good good way of finding out if he's going to be any good or not. Pressure, get him to come in and play. Um, but, look, I, I think more than anything, yeah, he, he everyone's got a wee bit of an eye on the World Cup at the moment. But he's also, he knows what a victory uh, against the All Blacks does for, for rugby in Australia. You've got to remember as well here that the code is struggling a little bit for for attention, for profile. You know, this is rugby league territory, Australia generally, but here in Melbourne it's AFL heavy. We've also got the Football World Cup, Women's Football World Cup going on. So rugby's really struggling to get its wee pocket of profile and fame. Uh, and there'll be nothing like beating the All Blacks to, to help it get a few column inches and, and a bit of media kudos because it, it just doesn't really have it at the moment. I did wonder how that was going to register because I was in Australia a few years ago ahead of the 2019 World Cup at a wedding and the Autumn Internationals were on and I kind of wrote off the fact that there was so little coverage at the time down to it being in the other hemisphere maybe that was the reason why but even things like Melbourne City Football Club were getting in ahead of the Australian 15 aside team and it was AFL pretty much across the board in the Sydney Morning Herald what's your experience been like about the hype I mean 80 odd thousand people are going to be there at the MCG but here we are a couple of days out from the game Um, what's the hype like in Melbourne ahead of this one? That's no hype look the 80,000 people at the MCG here's a wild guess probably 50,000 of them are going to be expat Kiwis you know, who don't, who don't really need the game promoted to them. They're coming. So there's a huge expat Kiwi population that lives in New Zealand and, and here in Melbourne as well. Like there, there, there's nothing that would tell you there's a game of rugby on this weekend around town. There's there's plenty that will tell you the AFL is in, is in full swing and, and that the World Cup is here. But this is the perennial battle, um, you know, for, for Australia. This is what they face the whole time. It's the most competitive football code in the world, really. You know, and they go... NRL, AFL and football all going against each other and without victories and without consistency um, you know, rugby just hasn't been able to capture the imagination like the, the Aussies get behind the team, there's no doubt about that, but they find it quite difficult when they've had 20 years of getting thumped by the All Blacks it's quite difficult to persuade them to keep buying tickets and to keep coming along to watch it so yeah the odd victories yeah that's okay but until they get consistent victories and actually win back the Bledisloe rugby's going to battle yeah I did wonder about that last year so when Sky Sports was showing the game where New Zealand last September ran up 40 points in Australia they showed a classic game afterwards in the late 90s where it was incredibly close and Australia were so good and you're thinking even for the rivalry it would be good maybe for Australia to be back to that level and to win a few of these because New Zealand's dominance for the last two decades has been complete Yeah look I think every Kiwi would would feel the same way as well because it's an important part of the calendar here that the two countries are right next to each other 
And um, without, uh, the, the, you know, there's nowhere else for these guys to play. This is the, the, the this is what they're stuck with each other. So there's no getting out of that. And it will become a problem if Australia cannot find um, the quality that they've previously had. I mean, there's guys that were almost in territory now where there's some of the All Blacks who've actually never been alive when Australia hit, held the Bledisloe Cup. So you've got this whole generation of people that have never seen um, Australia win the Cup. And that does a whole thing for your psyche. I and mean, that's another, going back to Eddie's selection, that's another important thing. You talk about he's got an eye for the World Cup, but he's actually put a whole group of guys in who maybe not burdened by that sense of history or who've experienced being walloped by the All Blacks time and time again. So they've got kind of youthful ignorance about what they're getting into. And he needs a wee bit of that because... Look, when when a team doesn't win for that length of time, you're right, it is a problem. Um, I think we would all love to see Australia win this weekend and, and keep the series alive going back to Dunedin next week. What's your assessment then of New Zealand? You said at the outset, very impressive first two games because we've all been watching on with great interest here in Ireland after the series last year and once it was clear that Ian Foster would be staying on till the World Cup to see what we, we'd see from New Zealand. And what has your assessment been of the first two games of the championship then? Oh, they've been good. And uh, if everyone in Ireland's a wee bit worried, well, you've got yourselves to blame because it's your fault because it's what you did to them uh, in July last year that's poked the bear properly. You know, that that was a big moment in time for New Zealand, not helped by the fact that after Ireland left, they had to go off to South Africa. Um, and as you say, they made some pretty big changes. Ian Foster was within a whisker of being, you know, dumped out himself. He brought back or he brought in... Joe Schmidt into yeah, a far more prominent role. You know, Joe has been uh, attack coach now, hands-on with the team since uh, September last year, August last year. And the forwards coach, Jason Ryan, he came in as well. And look, they, it's been amazing how the impact that they were able to have a little bit of an impact when they when they were dumped into, into their positions last year, but they didn't have a lot of time. They were working with a squad that they didn't really have any influence in picking, so they were working with players that were maybe not the right ones. So they, what's happened this year is they've had a whole Super Rugby campaign to work together. Um, the influence of Joe in particular, I think, can be seen in, in some of the selections that they've made. You talk to the players and, and they're all saying it's a completely different setup now. Uh, their attack game is it's working. And look, it's working because they found the physicality that they were missing. Um, but yeah, they've picked different a couple of different players. They've thrown a few of them out, uh, but they've got the tight five really playing well. They're scrummaging well. They're cleaning out. They're, they're playing a bit like Ireland actually. To be honest, they learned a lot when they played them, and they've and they've picked up a lot of what they had done to them. Um, so they've they've got that ruthless nature back about them in the forwards, and Joe's given them precision and detail in their attack game, and um, because they're winning that battle up front they've got a wee bit of space to play with and like I think everyone's known with the All Blacks when you got guys like Moanga, Barrett, Barrett, Ioani, Will Jordan if you give them a wee bit of space you're going to be in a bit of trouble so that that side of the game is looking good. Yeah we saw that against South Africa particularly I, I was very very impressed uh, with that performance I know South Africa are mixing and matching a little bit in the tournament with the travel and everything else but I thought New Zealand were excellent when New Zealand got the ball and moved it around I thought that's as well as they played in a little while. It's as, probably as well as they played this whole World Cup cycle, and they've they've lost a wee bit of their predictability. You know, they they were a very patterned team 
you know, Ireland read them so easily when they came out here. They played with that three-man pod that they'd set up about 10 years ago, and they hadn't moved away from that. I think what Joe's done is, is give them uh, greater variation in, uh, in how they want to, and how they're trying to play the game so that at no point do they look like they're playing to a prescribed pattern. So they're a lot harder for defences to read. Their, you know, the footwork of their forwards has come on. A, again, that's something they looked at what Ireland were doing. You know, like big forwards, it's great when they run in and crunch and smash people, but the Irish forwards, really good on their feet to find those weak shoulders to get the pass away so that you've got that momentum building up. That's been a big part of the All Blacks game this year, and I think that's that's a Joe influence. I think that's what he's brought. Um, yeah, and, and but they just look that they're confident, which is what they weren't this time last year. They had very little confidence in who they were and what they were trying to do, and they found that. And uh, they're a completely different team, I suspect, now. Not a bad time for it to click either, because this goes one of two ways with the way the Rugby Championship falls ahead of the World Cup. It's either a perfect tune-up very close to the tournament, or people will be getting incredibly concerned and saying there's only a few games left and there's no time actually to make those tweaks. But if you come out of this Rugby Championship with a bit of form, it could be a huge boost ahead of a World Cup. Yeah, and I think that's what they probably need. They, they, they're not really... Previous World Cup campaigns, they've... Um, Pre-World Cup, they've tended to use the Rugby Championship to play around a wee bit, to try out this guy here, to see if this guy's worth taking to the World Cup. They've been a wee bit experimental. This one, they're not doing any of that. They've kind of already done that. They've had enough uh, adversity. They've had enough selection um, changes over the last three years to not worry about any of that. They've got a view now that they want to use these games to, to build their confidence, to build the cohesion, to build their confidence. They want to win the Rugby Championship. They've said that. Um, they want to win the Bledisloe Cup, which I suspect they probably will. And they want to arrive in France with a really clear idea um, you know, who, the, who the top team is. And I think they've just about done that, give or take one or two on the bench. And a really good idea about what their game plan looks like and they don't care now that if everyone else knows what they're trying to do they don't care about that because they feel they've got enough variety in there anyway and they're doing it well enough that it doesn't really matter if the world knows what's coming at them they're not you know they're not going to be that much better equipped to stop it if the all blacks do it well so yeah you're right um they are timing it well um and you know, if everyone in Ireland were thinking this time last year that, yeah, secretly we'd, they'd quite like to get the All Blacks in the quarterfinal, I'm wondering if they're now maybe thinking, actually, might be better off getting France. Uh, Gregor, I'm not sure how you pick your poison there. It's like New Zealand, who have been Ireland's nightmare at World Cups, or France, the tournament hosts who arguably have played the best rugby over this cycle and who have been priming themselves for this World Cup. I don't think mm. there's a good choice either way on this one. No, probably not. But look... Yeah, that, that's why that World Cup's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because probably, I mean, just as much as maybe Ireland are thinking jeepers, we don't want the All Blacks, I'd say the All Blacks this time last year were definitely thinking, you know, we definitely don't want Ireland. We'd far rather play South Africa than we would Ireland, who've got our number, you know. I mean, how many times did Ireland beat them in the last four or five times that they've met? So, look, but World Cups are different, aren't they? Because they come with a whole different set of pressure and histories and... You know, who knows what kind of factor that will play if these two teams do meet each other in France. The consistency of selection then, which you've been writing about as well, I think if Sam Kane doesn't have this neck injury, there's a strong chance it's not just an unchanged team, but it could well have been the same match day 23 as South Africa that we're going to Melbourne. Yeah, just about. One of, um, look, the, the one confusing part here is uh, Damien McKenzie. 
is not featuring in that 23. And everyone's looking at that. We've got sideways going, don't understand that because I think he will when they go to the World Cup. So unless he's carrying some kind of niggle that we're not being told about, that's maybe the only, you know, the only difference. Now, I mean, interestingly, that means that Sam Whitelock uh, is a bench player for the All Blacks now. And that's, you know, that that's a sign of how well they're performing. I suppose when you got a guy like that who's not making the top team or who's having to come off the bench. But yeah, I think you're right. That's if if Kane had been fit, we probably would have we wouldn't have seen any changes. Mm. Um, which is a very different circumstance to Australia at the moment when you see the amount of guys who are coming in particularly with in the caps under 10 now at the moment and having to probably have a look at that halfback combination were you surprised that Kerr Barlow a former New Zealand player who's now eligible to play for Australia again hasn't factored a bit more heavily for Eddie Jones in the run up to the tournament because more reports this week that potentially he could play for Australia A and that he's still in contention but for those of us here in the Northern Hemisphere who've been watching what he's been doing with La Rochelle and the way he can move around the ball I'm, at least I'm surprised that Australia haven't had a look at him in the rugby championship. Yeah, look, well, it's probably ha- uh, scrum half is the one position where, not the one, that's unfair, but it, it is a position where Australia, when they came into Super Rugby, felt that they had quite a bit of depth. They do they do have some good number nines going. The, the second issue there is that it's taken a, a fair amount of negotiation for Jones to... Uh, manipulate current selection eligibility rules to be able to get his hands. He's already got his hands on one additional um, overseas player, and that took a whole sort of you know board meeting and begging to get that over the line. So Ker- he, he's limited in how many guys he can bring in from offshore. Kerr Barlow would be another one, and presumably Jones doesn't feel like he's got the the leeway with the board to get another one over the line. And without being rude to Tawara, who's a great player, um, he obviously doesn't feel like he needs them. And you you guys all watch him up in the north. But the problem here is we're very southern focused, you know, is that they, they want to be picking guys out of Super Rugby and not picking them out of the northern hemisphere. So that goes against them as well. It's, it's kind of a strange situation as well where I think when it comes to some of the players from New Zealand who've gone abroad, it's generally been a case if they stayed within New Zealand while making their way within the team and then some will go to Japan and some will come to Europe. In the case of, I think for South Africa particularly, it's so different when their players are... Now, since, they've, uh, since the URC, maybe some have started to come back to their uh, franchises, but for the best part, they are used to their top players being spread around the world. Maybe South African fans have to watch a bit more rugby elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, and, and and that's it. It's not it's not about being rude or disrespectful to the Northern Hemisphere. It's just like the the whole argument down here, and, and it's like New Zealand have stuck very rigidly to their eligibility policy, which is you have to be in New Zealand to play for the All Blacks. They've made exemptions for guys who've gone on sabbatical contracts where they've committed to playing to New Zealand for longer, but they're allowed to go and play in Japan for one season, and then they come back and play for the All Blacks. Australia have had a Wanted to do the same, but they haven't been able to. Um, so they've had to concede and allow, uh, you know, to, whatever it is, three guys can can be picked from from offshore. But the, the whole point of these policies are they're trying to protect and rebuild Super Rugby a little bit. So they've got to be careful about, you know, South Africa are under economic pressures that none of us can really understand and, and social issues in that country that we can't understand until you go and live there. So they've had to go and do that to to give them a lifeline and how they can set themselves up. But here, you know, if New Zealand could have a, an influence on Australia's selection policy, they would tell them, you're not allowed to pick 
players from offshore at all. You've got to pick them all from here because it's weakening Super Rugby letting these guys go. Has it hurt Super Rugby with South Africa's shift towards the Northern Hemisphere at club level? Yeah. Yeah, it has. I mean, no one, no one could pretend otherwise. But what it's done is it's just left a lack of variety in the in the type of rugby that we that we see um probably with the exception of the crusaders and chiefs who are a wee bit different so it's a lot of ruck and run rugby that's played it's fast it's furious no one really dwells on the set piece a great deal the size of the athletes is different to i mean like watching the south africans here in uh, in auckland last week whenever it was you forget what size they are. I mean, you guys see them all the time, but you see them out on the field and you go, jeepers. You know, they start with these enormous guys and they bring another five of them off the bench and you're like, wow, it's just incredible the size. And that's what that's what uh, Super Rugby has missed. And, you know, the All Blacks players all talk about that quite openly, that, you know, they loved the chance to play against the box last week because they haven't done it for ages. And, um, you know, they miss the, just the sheer size of these guys. Moving them out of rucks is... It's hard, you know, you hit them and they don't move. And a lot of the younger guys are learning that when you tackle these guys, you've got to tackle them. You know, they, they, they keep running if you don't. Um, and and the power that they bring in the scrum and the, and the you know, expertise at the lineup where they really, you know, they're, they're strong in those areas of the game. That's how they want to play, slow, hard, set-piece rugby. And we don't have that in Super Rugby. And um, everyone misses it a wee bit. Yeah, and I guess probably key from a Southern Hemisphere point of view to keep South Africa within the rugby championship then because continually the stories are linked here about the idea of South Africa maybe at the end of their contract uh, down there looking to join the Six Nations, but it's always kind of up in the air, it seems to be. I mean, I would think for both Australia and New Zealand particularly, they want to keep South Africa in the rugby championship. Oh, look, 100%. They're desperate to keep them here. But the problem that they have, when they broke up Super Rugby, and that was kind of New Zealand's decision to do that, unilaterally kind of blew it up. Uh, it, it's created this netherworld now where and Argentina are in the same boat as South Africa where uh, they are Southern Hemisphere countries, but they have one foot in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly South Africa, because they're now in the URC. And Argentina's players have all gone back to Europe to to play for European clubs. So they're out of sync with the rugby championship when it's played. And if you actually start to look at welfare issues, and the South Africans and Argentinians have brought this up now and saying, well, our guys are now basically playing 12 months of the year because they don't get a break. Because once they finish their club programs in you know, late May, early June, then they go straight into July test matches. And that's okay. That's the same as England, Ireland, France. They all do that. But then those guys are having to go and play in the rugby championship pretty much straight after, finish that, back into club rugby. When do they get a break? They don't. And there's a lot of pressure on, on New Zealand and Australia to, to say, look, that's untenable. They can't keep doing that. So what's the solution here? We don't want to lose them. Don't want Argentina and South Africa to disappear. Don't want the rugby championship to break up. So the, there's a proposal on the table to move it to take it away from August, September and play it um, March, April and kind of align it with the Six Nations. And that way, the South Africans and the Argentinians can actually get a break. Problem will be for New Zealand and, and Australia, be like, jeepers, what do we do? Because we're going to have to flip our whole Caesar. season upside yeah. down and total overhaul, which will be dramatic, it'll be difficult. But longer term, 
it will kind of align the two hemispheres, get rid of that welfare problem, and longer term it would work out well, but short term chaos and trying to restructure it. But something's going to have to give here because it's not tenable for these guys to play as much as they are without a break. No, for sure. Uh, rugby, by the way, here and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, Ireland's most reliable mobile network and the proud sponsor of the Irish rugby team. Intrigued as well, Gregor, to get your feel on the Johnny Sexton ban because we're always intrigued to see what the outside view is on this, that he's received his three-game ban, it's going to be served before the World Cup starts. I'm sure there were some in New Zealand who were watching to see what the length of that ban was going to be. Yeah, the point didn't follow as closely as... Uh to know whether three weeks is a fair reflection on, on what he was accused of doing. I don't know. We, there was an incident down here uh, a little bit similar to 15, I think, where Michael Chaker did something similar when he was the Waratahs coach, burst into the referee's room at halftime uh, and made his feelings clear about what was going on. And he actually didn't get punished at all for doing that because they were because if he had been... He would have been, he was on a suspended sentence anyway for some other misdemeanor, and he wouldn't have been able to have coached Australia at the World Cup. So that kind of got buried a wee bit. So in terms of precedent, Johnny did something similar and got three weeks. Well, that's three weeks more than Michael Chaker got for doing something worse. So probably seems fair enough. Okay, so there was no feeling there that you're waiting to see how long that ban was going to be because that seemed to be very much the feeling in South Africa but maybe that was purely because South African eyes would have been thinking he could potentially miss the game at the World Cup. Yeah, look, the, these bands that, that come around. I mean, like we here, we had one with Anton Leonard Brown got um, red, red card, no, yellow carded in the uh, Super Rugby final. Was banned for three weeks. But these days, you can uh, you can do some sort of training course that gets your sentence down. And I think the credibility of how these you know how these bands work and how players are able to manipulate them so that you know they were supposedly going to play in, in these other four other club games that we didn't know about so they can become you know available again to play in the ones that they want. I don't know. I don't know if anyone takes them overly seriously, do they? I don't think so. No, I think it's probably more for the Twitterati to argue about this rather than mm. yeah discussions outside of that. Uh, before I finish up, I want to ask about Will Jordan as well because I think people have been very impressed by the type of free-running rugby he's playing at the moment. But before the tournament, I was I was reading really about the months of of hell that that guy had gone through. Yeah, yeah, like he and he it, it cropped up with him before he missed the whole Super Rugby season when he was younger. So you know his whole debut with the Crusaders was delayed for the for the same problem. It's they refer to it as a. Uh, uh, a migraine-related problem. No one really knows the the course of it, the the cause of it, or how it erupts or how it how it affects them really. So they kind of manage them day to day. At the moment, he's okay, um, and he, and you know he talked about it after the South Africa game. Yeah, he was nervous about playing, but he seems to be quite confident that um, he's okay at the moment. He doesn't know what sets it off. That's that's the problem. Everyone assumes it's some sort of you know, head trauma that causes this problem, but it's not. I mean, he just woke up one day and didn't feel well. And, you know, that was him out for nine months. So he's a bit nervous because he just because he doesn't have full control over how it's working out for him. But look, he's he's confident he's gonna go to the World Cup and everyone else is, so until we until we find out otherwise. Yeah.
When he's in full flight, he's very, very impressive, though. Like, you were talking about Joe Schmidt's uh, fingerprints being around this attack, and that's obviously very important around the structured play. But having someone like him who can play freestyle... We had Mac Hansen on the show last night when he was just talking about, in some ways, he kind of feels where he's going to go on his runs. Uh, Jordan kind of reminds me of that a little bit as well. Yeah, and look, they've given him a license to do what he likes. And there's a big thing here, but he plays at fullback for the Crusaders, and the All Blacks prefer him on the wing because... At test level, they feel that their fullback has a you know a sort of defensive chain around them where they you know they, they have to be covering that backfield and if they get pulled out of position, it's a problem. So they've given Jordan the license to to attack from wherever he feels like to crop up wherever he wants to, and he is amazingly instinctive at knowing where that space is going to be, and he's brilliant at just popping up somewhere random. Um, and getting the ball in his hands, and he is lightning quick. He, I would imagine, he would be up there with the quickest guys, you know, in world rugby at the moment. And that's that's why he's so dangerous because he, once he sees a tiny gap that no one else does, he's gone. You know, he's like if you don't if you're not there to put a proper tackle on him, he he's disappeared and he and he scored and he did that. You know, he shredded the South Africans a couple of times by doing that, and he's given the All Blacks. Well, just to, uh, you know, I don't think he really featured in that series against Ireland. They didn't use him very well. Yeah, I don't think Ireland have really seen him at his best yet. So that's another weapon that the All Blacks have got up there in their armory that they probably didn't have this time last year. They've worked out how to use Will and bring him into the game where they, you know, where he's not expected to be. And just on Joe Schmidt, when we mentioned his fingerprints, Razor's going to come in after the World Cup. I just wonder what role there's going to be for Joe Schmidt next. He always seems to find something interesting to keep himself occupied uh, since he's gone back to New Zealand. But I kind of wonder what's going to be next for him. Yeah, we all do. He hasn't he doesn't really have any media profile here. He doesn't want to speak. doesn't want to be on the record about much. Uh, his old mate, Vern Cotter, has taken over as head coach at the Blues. And, you know, the two of them worked together at Clermont for quite some time. Uh, and there's a whisper, maybe Joe will do a little bit of consultancy work with Vern, with the Blues, just sort of be in and around, but not, you know, not hands-on or, you know, with the team the whole time. So that might be something for him to play around with. But look, he, he's, at the moment, he suggested he's quite happy to not coach. I mean, he was quite happy not coaching until Foster kind of really begged him to come in and, and get back into it. And it was a real effort to get him to to do it. Joe didn't want to and really talked him into it. Now he's sort of being kicked back out again through no fault of his own. I, who knows? He he might just be happy walking his dog and having a quiet life. I get a sneaky feeling some calls will come and he'll be interested somewhere whether it's Auckland or elsewhere. Gregor, enjoy the lovely city of uh, Melbourne ahead of the game on Saturday. And thanks a million for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Rugby on Off The Ball With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team We all belong to the team of us 